This episode is made possible by our generous patrons. Episode 126 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm Luke. And I'm James. And this week we discuss the first half of Stephen King's 2018 novel, The Outsider. So we're back with Stephen King, uh, one of the favorites of the pod. I was going back through our back catalog and counting. I think this is going to be our fifth Stephen King adaptation and book we have read. Gotta be honest, it seems like it's like 10. Yeah, it right. <laughs> feels like a lot more than that because a lot of his projects end, end up being a lot longer than others. They are usually pretty long. Also, I have read other Stephen King novels, so I, I'm starting to finally feel like uh, someone who's read enough Stephen King to start to have opinions about Stephen King and like his writing. Right. Um, for the longest time, I always felt like I was just scratching the surface and I couldn't really comment because I was like, oh, I've only read like one or two books by him and he's written so many um, so prolific and that's still the case because i like i still feel like i'm barely scratching the surface because he has written so many novels and continues to publish stuff every year but still yeah I, i'm finally starting to feel like i'm getting a good feel for like him as a writer i've read his early stuff now i've read obviously his his uh new stuff that like this novel um so i'm really starting to get a good sense for like him as a writer and what he does really, really well, and maybe s- certain weaknesses some people could point to, whether or not I agree with them, you know, it's up for debate, but um, I'm just starting to get a feel like I, I can talk Stephen King now, uh, <laughs> which is funny because I've been doing it for so long. <laughs> right. Well, I, I mean, I feel like with the just the sheer amount that he writes, I just, I, I don't know, I feel like we're starting to really see sort of his his style and, and like understanding his like oeuvre and understanding mm-hmm. like what makes Stephen King Stephen King. And um, I will say that like he has a he has a specific sort of style that he likes to tell a story in. And I think whether it's a true horror or whether it's like supernatural, which I guess it's still be to, to, to be determined what this one is, because is, is it going to be more of a Dr. Sleep or is it going to be more of a Shining, um, you yeah. know, more horror, more supernatural? But uh, I have opinions. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, I just think that that in terms of, uh, yeah, like you said, like being able to talk about Stephen King, I definitely feel like I I understand him now. And and what's crazy is at the same time, there's still so much Stephen King we haven't read. Yeah, so much. Um, so I will point you back, listener, to our, our, our previous episodes on It, uh, The Shining, Pet Cemetery, and Dr. Sleep. Um, especially, I think, going back to The Shining is where we really talk about st- some more of Stephen King's sort of personal life. Um, we've touched on it here and there. Um, but we're going to focus mostly on the book this time. It's also a newer book, so there's not a lot of like background information out there about it. Um, I've just seen a little bit here and there. Um, but before we do that, this is going to be our only opportunity in this coverage to do a spoiler-free discussion. So I'm gonna st- we're going to start off giving sort of spoiler-free impressions of the book. Now, we have only read half of this novel, so it is actually impossible for us to spoil anything <laughs> after the halfway point. But even that, we're going we're gonna to be careful with. Actually, before we get into your spoiler-free thoughts, James, um, we should outline what we're going to do for this project. 
Uh, we are giving this our what what I would call our sharp objects treatment because <laughs> um, I think that's the only other one. Maybe there's another show we've done. I, I'm forgetting, but that's the one I think of because I think it's the first one we did uh, like this. So, well, so Game of Thrones as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, Game of Thrones. Okay, so we've done this a few times. But essentially what we're going to do is we're going to cover the first half of the book here. Next week we're going to cover the first half of the TV show, the HBO series that's coming out right now. We haven't watched any of it. I don't know about you, but I haven't seen a single episode. No, I haven't seen a single second. Yeah, I've seen a trailer. That's all I've seen. I haven't even seen that. Really? Okay, cool, cool. Um, So we're going to cover the first five episodes. Now, we don't know if that will actually correspond one-to-one completely unknown we'll see that's just a guess and regardless then the following week with the third week of our coverage of the outsider will be our final and we're going to watch the rest of the show and read the rest of the book and then uh talk about both simultaneously um in sort of one hodgepodge <laughs> wrap-up episode which we'll see how that goes um and i was thinking i was going to recommend uh like we did for sharp objects i think i'm going to have you watch the show first then read the book and then I will read the book first and then watch the final episodes of the show. Um, we'll both have done both when we come onto the episode to talk, but just in the order in which we experience the ending will be slightly different. And I think that'll be yeah. interesting for like how that might affect our our view of the uh, of the show. I'd also be open to do it the other way around if you have a preference. What, what do you think? No, no, I think that sounds cool. Yeah, okay. I think that makes sense. You're the you're the you're the show movie guy, so I think you you do the show first. I think that makes sense. Yeah, well, I'll have more to say on like sort of my initial feeling. You know, the 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 way that I experienced the ending. I think that'll be fun. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously kind of an unusual way to experience this. The vast majority of people won't be doing that. They will have either read the book first or have seen the show and then gone to the book after. Um, but I think that'll give us at least a slightly unique perspective. Hopefully, which will be interesting and maybe lead to to some interesting observations. We'll see how it goes. That's the way we're going to do this coverage. Um, let's talk about spoiler-free observations and, and just our experience with it so far. What's it been like for you? I'm enjoying myself. I think it's it definitely feels like a Stephen King novel. Um, it feels maybe like it could be shortened a little bit because um, we, we, you know within the first half here we sort of I, I guess I don't want to say any specifics, but we, <laughs> yeah. we, we, we careful <laughs> we don't get through we don't get through all that much like there's some some i would say like four or five major events and then a lot of it is like that world building that stephen king does so well right um setting up characters Lots and characters. relationships and things like that it's it's cool because it's it's sort of like the the biggest thing in the world especially in podcasting is true crime right now so yeah to read a true crime stephen king novel is it's pre- it's pretty fun and, and it feels a little different um i wanted to ask you do you feel like this is a reaction to the popularity or do you think stephen king is kind of also getting getting like um, kind of sucked up in all of that, all of that true crime stuff. Do you think he's like binging true crime podcasts like everybody else, and like he's just like, you know what, I need to write a story. I mean, that would be pure speculation on my part. Um, I like to think so. I, I, I think he's always been interested in that sort of stuff. Um, I think there, you know, horror and true crime often go hand in hand. Um, you know, I, I, I like to think that uh, it's not just a sort of in the moment reaction, but maybe it is partly that. You know. And I'm glad you mentioned true crime. That was one of my main points I was going to make because you had, you had kept saying like this feels like a Stephen King novel. It's kind of like that. And I agree, but it is also different in that this is the first time I've read a novel from Stephen King so far where I felt like, ooh, this is, this is being presented as a true crime case, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, we're getting direct testimony. We're getting like transcripts of conversations. We're getting all this stuff, which, which is a cool sort of like it blending the the lines where you could almost forget that what you're reading is actually fiction and that this isn't something that really happened, um, which I like that. And, and because of that, I was feeling, 
I don't know. I, I like true true crime. I listen to several true crime prod- podcasts, watch watch uh, videos and stuff. It's fairly recent thing for me that I've gotten into. Although I've always been sort of someone who's been somewhat interested and dabbled in that stuff and and, and read and and you know liked documentaries and stuff. But I'm very familiar with it right now. And to read this book right now, it's 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 playing right into like I literally think I was listening to like the most recent case file episode. Um, before we started this book and it was like, oh my gosh, this is like more true crime. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's fun. And, and I like that, that way he's playing with that. Yeah. I, it, I was super into the structure of the beginning where we were flashing between like sort of interviews and, and pre arrest. I don't think yeah. that's a spoiler. No, it happens right at the start. Yeah. Uh, the flashing between the two things. And I think they show it in the trailer. Yeah. And I really thought that was a fun way to like play with the structure and we get like that. It was like a transcript being like, uh, retold to us. Uh, the way we were reading just like a you know notes or like a if somebody was taking the dictation or whatever yeah. what would you call that like when somebody's just taking the notes yeah i would just uh, like a stenographer you know yeah. taking it i don't know what the word you know a transcriptionist i like that it's just just like in terms of structure that was cool but i did want to mention my sort of experience with with true crime and like how how like my enjoyment of it so okay um you mentioned the podcast like I, I have listened to some some true crime podcasts and for specific um, cases and things like that I, I do enjoy listening to but typically I don't consider I'm not huge on true crime like it just mm-hmm. uh, it isn't something that I engage with a lot that being said you mentioned documentaries true crime documentaries like film documentaries I'm super into I think that's okay. I, I'm much more into that but the the podcasting side of it I don't I don't get too sucked into but my girlfriend, as you know, yep. is massive into, into true crime. <laughs> yeah, your sister is is <laughs> like like that. That is her like that is her hobby. She she is so steeped in that stuff. And anytime I need, I just turn to her and I'm like, so what's up with this guy? And she's like, got everything when they were arrested. Like, <laughs> yeah, what she's way and, more into it than I am too. So she she knows a lot. That's sort of like like my I have an encyclopedia to turn to, but I'm not super into true crime. <laughs> so this is a this is a fun way of uh of kind of blending narrative with that and she's also been watching the show so it's it'll be cool for us to experience that together so for me uh i usually read both a physical copy of the book and i get the audiobook to sort of correspond and and i can switch off for whatever's convenient for me at the time um i do i am a fan of audiobooks i do enjoy that format um and some people might argue that it is not like a quote-unquote true reading of a book um and i would disagree with those people However, I will grant that it is a different reading of a book. There is You are going to be influenced by the narrator and the choices they make. Um, you're also being told a story in sort of a very natural way, like, you know, going back to ancient times when people would tell stories to each other around campfires um, or even modern day. It, it is a, it is a, I think it is a natural form of storytelling, but it is different than reading words on a page. And so I'll grant that it's different. Um, I don't like people who are sort of elitist about it, um, but regardless, let me set, let's set that aside this time. <laughs> my physical copy is in a warehouse right now because I'm having a remodel done and it ended up getting packed all this stuff. Long story short, I don't have my physical copy of the book, which is frustrating because I did buy it, um, knowing we were going to cover this a few months ago, um, which was a, a mistake on my part to, to let it get packed up. But regardless, I've only been listening to the audiobook. Um, so my only frame of reference has been that. And I wanted to shout out Will Patton who is the the narrator for this and do you know you know he's like an actor who's been in a bunch of stuff and including one of the projects we've covered he appeared in uh briefly in Jesus's son um mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember him in that in that movie 
Yeah, yeah. The the other thing about him is that he, be, I, I mentioned on my Dr. Sleep, on our Dr. Sleep coverage, the way that I was consuming the story was through the audiobook. Yeah. And I think he's like sort of the narrator for Stephen King novels at this point. Uh, he's done he's done a few. Yeah, he, he did Dr. Sleep as well. Yeah. So, so that like sort of the voice was very familiar to me. It felt like specifically because of that reference that I already had to pull from, it felt like, oh, just diving right back into another Stephen King story. And yeah. it felt familiar just from the narrator. And I think, he's, well, remember Michael C. Hall narrated uh, Pet Cemetery, and I oh, think yeah, he's gone on to right. do some other ones too. So I think King might use different narrators, some, not, not just one, but Will Patton has, well, been maybe more several. recent ones, some of the more recent ones, yeah. maybe uh, this guy's been It's on. pretty amazing. He's getting these actors coming in, you know what I mean? Like not just not, yeah. na- not audiobook narrators, like legit actors that you recognize yeah. from things are reading his books yeah. it's pretty incredible something while we're talking about it that i have to mention this is such a phenomenon for me where when we're, whenever we are covering king for the podcast uh-huh. it reflects my life in some way and it's <laughs> okay. always super eerie uh-oh have what you seen the doppelganger what, not yet not yet <laughs> but what is the, the the city that is most talked about in this story so far is El Paso, Texas. Oh, I was going to say Flint, Oklahoma. Isn't that where it's well, set? Well, Flint, Opla- Oklahoma, but in terms of like places outside the main area, okay. outside the main city is El Paso, Texas. And they kept talking about all these the, things. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I was just visiting a friend in El Paso, Texas while listening to the audiobook on a plane on my way there. <laughs> uh, and like, it was, it was wild to me. I could wow. not believe it because it, it doesn't ever cease every single time we cover King. Last time it was, I was on a road trip and we were reading about these people who were pulling off into into rest stops and they were sucking people's souls in doctor sleep so it's just like can't yep. get away from it that's awesome um something yeah <laughs> something sort of supernaturally spooky there i love it um so i want to give like just a brief uh concept for this book um but before we do i want to go ahead and give a content warning for anybody who might not know um this book does deal with sexual violence against a child um so if that's something that you just want to nope out of you know what i mean Please do go ahead and stop. Um, we cover cover many other books you could check out that don't cover such topics and totally understandable. But I just want to get that out of the way before we start discussing it at all. Not that we're going to be going into like gory details, but it is something that is at the heart of this book, right? So it's kind of unavoidable. Yeah, and it's it is it is horrific as well. It's not yeah, like it's for like sure. talked about like like in, I feel like even in this one, it's made to be even more heinous and more like it, maybe even than than many of the murders we or deaths we've heard about in Stephen King's stories. Well, it's like, and and it's because it's presented in a way that is very true crime. Exactly. Um, it, you know what I mean? In that sense, it is. It, that's one of the things that reminded me most, the way the crime was talked about, because it's being dis- discussed by police. Um, and, and they obviously are not people who believe in the supernatural. So they're looking at it as a real, you know, like a real crime, a, a crime committed by a regular person. And, you know, all that goes into that. So the general idea for this book is that a little boy is murdered uh, brutally, we won't go into more details, and um, all of the evidence por- points towards this coach, Coach T. Terry, um, and they have all they have so much evidence that the police decide to publicly uh, arrest him in front of thousands of people at this like little league game where he's the coach, um, and then they bring him in and essentially um, he has also a airtight alibi for not being in town when the crime occurred. And it becomes apparent that there are two versions of this one guy. So that's just going to be kind of where I'm going to stop as far as like, that's the premise for the book, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody committed a murder and this guy is innocent and has proof that he's innocent. Yet there is all this evidence that proves that he did it. Um, And so that's sort of the premise of the book. And I think it opens it up to really interesting 
discussions about um, what could be going on thematically with this book. Now, I any discussion we're having about it is going to be incomplete because we have not finished the book. So it's hard to see like where what is what is King playing at, right? And a lot of it's going to depend on where the narrative goes. Um, but early on, I, I think we can tell that like anytime you're dealing with the doppelganger phenomenon, um, it seems to me like you are talking about sort of metaphor for our darker selves, right? And it's kind of like the it's kind of like the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing, although they were quote unquote the same person. But it's it's the same kind of concept. Um, they reference Edgar Allan Poe in the book a lot. And, and how he's written a story about this. And there are other references. Um, and yeah, I just, it, it's the idea of a doppelganger as sort of a, a manifestation of like the evil that all of us are capable of um, mm-hmm. is, is sort of an interesting phenomenon. Um, and so I think that's going on here in the book. Um, yeah. What, what are your thoughts on that before? Cause I do think there's more going on than just that, but I think that's a part of it. And anyway, what are your thoughts on that, on that piece of it? Uh, I like I like what you said because th- that was definitely something I wanted to talk about. This sort of the idea that like if something did inhabit or like you know look just like you and and the the, the damage that they could do to your life and like yeah. what what like sh- you know the things that like even like the worst killers in the world wouldn't do. Um, you know the worst people in existence. Some of them have done something things some things similar, but just the the just showing what the absolute worst outcome could be. Um, I don't know, like you said, it shows like the potential of, of people and, and like what, I don't know, the, what evil exists in the world. And, and there was something, something that's kind of stuck with me. Are we doing, I, I don't think this is really a spoiler anyway, but this, uh, there's this pregnant woman that spoke about and they talked about how like the baby was just like ready to come out. She's like mm-hmm. any day she was going to give birth. And, uh, one of the characters was talking about how, like, if only the, the child knew like how, how dangerous and how like gruesome and, and like like just like the world, the world is. is like mm-hmm. how they would wa- wouldn't want to come out and yeah i think that that's like a, a definitely a, a like a recurring theme in this well and that's a good point this book is bleak right like it is this is one of the darkest king novels um i can remember i liken it maybe to pet cemetery in that way like it's a very it's a very dark one um and and to me um i think solidly horror in my opinion um i it is not necessarily supernatural right away because we at first you could be forgiven if you don't know who Stephen King is you know there are people Mm -hmm. out there like that you pick up this book it's the first book you've ever read by this Stephen King person I wonder what it's about you could be forgiven for thinking this is a thriller mystery that's going to have a an answer to it that is not supernatural and then over the course of like the first third of the book you do there is a lot of like heavy implications that it is supernatural um but it's not immediately obvious that it is, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, it is a dark crime with a bleak uh, sort of worldview and the repercussions of it and how it affects everybody involved. It's just really dark. And, and it reminds me of like some of the more like troubling true crime you'll, you'll read about. And it's, mm-hmm. I think, presented that way on purpose. I just wonder where the line is drawn with, you know, I, I don't think that anybody would be wrong in thinking that this is horror or just supernatural. I think that you could you could get on either side of it, you know, because it's not necessarily there is clearly a creature and we'll see how like horror 
that creature be- becomes later on and if it if it does le- lend itself to that sort of thing but regardless it kind of reminds me of like a uh true detective in the way that like yeah. uh the Absolutely. crime is so it's like the ritualistic mm-hmm. horrifying crime and it, yep. it's horror in that way well and it depends on how broad you want to use that definition you know like we've talked about romance is the same way and um i i am someone who likes to broadly apply the term um mm-hmm. i think that true detective you could say is a horror story and right. you, you know what I mean? Even though it's arguable that nothing really supernatural happens in that, in that, um, just because of like, that's the feeling it is eliciting in you. And that's kind of like the main definition for me is like, is it trying to make you feel horrified? Um, mm-hmm. and is that the pervasive feeling throughout most of it? I think those are kind of the two things. And for me, that is true here. And that was one of the things we we did talk about in Dr. Sleep where I, in my opinion, that was not the main feeling it was going for. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's why I made the distinction of calling it more of a dark fantasy. Now, maybe, maybe that's bullshit and maybe it should all just be horror. I don't know. Um, there's also horror that is humorous and there's horror that does all sorts of other things. So I, I won't pretend to be an expert. That's just kind of my own, where I'm at, where I, when I think about horror and what it is and is not. Um, and then you also see this bullshit discussion with film where it's like, oh, this movie is, is, is beyond horror. We need to call it something else. It's not horror. It's something, you know, and they have some sort of bullshit term they come up with because they don't want to call it horror because it likens it to Friday the 13th or some something right. schlocky, right? Um, you see yeah. this with, with some of, like, you know, like Jordan Peele's recent work and, and a lot of these, like, quote-unquote highbrow uh, horror that's coming out. Um, and luckily, I think most of the filmmakers scoff at the idea, call it bullshit, and say, no, this is a horror film because um, right. they rightfully recognize it, it, that it's elitist. Exactly. And, like, someone like Jordan Peele, a filmmaker like Jordan Peele, I'm sure would love his films to be compared to even schlocky horror movies like that because it is yeah. part of, like... It's all part of it. It's all like the broad range of, of what film means. And I, I, like genre is weird because it's like putting things in a box when yep. like really like everything's breaking those those yep. boundaries constantly. Oh, the boxes are illusions. Yeah. No, you're totally <laughs> right, man. And, you know, that's like a, another whole discussion we could have and, and continue to have about like what it means to be in a genre. And especially today's day and age where it feels like there's so much genre blending. But um, I, I feel like this is solidly horror. And in fact... Um, if not for a couple of sort of um, there's been a couple of release valve moments for me that helped um, take away some of the stress of this. Um, this has been one of the more frightening. It may be even the most frightening Stephen King novel I've read so far. Um, wow. Now, and, and that says a lot, but l- let me let me explain a little bit. For one, The Shining, which a lot of people look to, is a movie I had seen before. So when I went to read the book, it didn't hold a ton of mystery for me, even though it is very different. Um, so while mm-hmm. I found it frightening and there were moments definitely that were very scary, um, it, I'm never going to find something as frightening when I know where it's going. Um, then there's it, which I liked is more of like a horror epic, but I'm just not much of a, like, I don't have a fear of clowns, um, which a lot right. of people really, really do. And mm-hmm. so a lot of the Pennywise stuff, um, I appreciated as a fan of horror and I found it like I found it frightening on its, on its surface, but it didn't, it wasn't having the effect of like sitting with me and making me think about it. Like after I was done and like, you know, giving me chills, like, and and that's going to be such a subjective experience for everybody. I'm not, I'm just speaking purely from my own experience. Right. Um, I think real quick, I think the thing with it is also some of the scariest stuff is when you're you're not sure that it's like this like otherworldly being. Like when there's like something, when there's a clown in the drain killing Georgie, like that 
is probably some of the scariest stuff because it's it's I think it's rooted in the in the real world. Yeah. And I think that that's what this story is doing well. It's like very much rooted in the real world, which which just brings so much immediacy to it. And you're like, well, the crime, shit, like the crime feels like something that you would hear happens. about. It's right. like, yeah. So it's very human in that sense, even if the thing doing it is inhuman. Um, yeah. Um, which, like, I guess we actually don't know for sure yet, so, and that's, you know, hopefully that's not a spoiler to say that there is sort of this question, but, I mean, it's a Stephen King adaptation, Stephen King novel. Um, it should be understood. Um, I, I guess I do kind of want to get to the point where we can start talking more spoilers. I definitely want to talk about the fact that Stephen King wrote this, like, two years ago, and it's yeah. currently being adapted, and it's on TV on HBO. It's, like, that's, that's crazy, un- right? unbelievable. It just, like, blows my mind. That, that like he's writing something and then immediately goes into production. It came out in May and it was optioned in June. So crazy. Um, so one month later optioned. Um, and I, there are moments in here which makes me wonder if maybe there was even some conversations going on during the writing of this book, um, which we can, really? we can get into. I, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe, I don't know if you saw it or not, um, but it mm-hmm. may be kind of a spoiler. So I'll wait, but um, we can revisit that. But yeah, I mean, you're right. It, this is a very fast turnaround. Um incredibly fast to have a book come out in 2018 and be adapted in 2020 um starting really in 2019 it started coming out right uh, wait no when did when did it start when did it start airing uh, 2020 I, I think right yeah it started in 2020 okay i think it's as scary as anything i've read from king so if, if you're somebody who's you know worried that king has totally lost his touch um and he's not as frightening anymore now that he's you know later on in his career i, I disagree with that i think this is as yeah. frightening as anything i've read from him um, I want to so, say that yeah. there's there's this sort of idea. I think people get people put people like Stephen King into a box, and they're like, he's great at making like it, and he's great at making Pet Cemetery, and he's great at making like all of these like iconic like horror icon sort of creatures and characters, and and like places like The Shining Hotel, The Overlook mm-hmm. Hotel. Um, and I think that that when people read some of his newer stuff, it isn't as akin to that. It's not, you know, it's so different from that that they're like, this isn't real King like this. And it sort well, of reminds me of me as with, with something with, that happens with Miyazaki too is um, uh, his, his studio Ghibli films. They started out very much about like the fantastical worlds and, and all this stuff. And then he brought it to more concrete. Like I think of like the wind rises is like, it really is just an anime film about, world war ii like like happening and uh, somebody who has a love for for planes and you know what what happens to that plane when it's used in world war ii and that kind of thing um which is like completely different from something like like fantastical worlds and i think it's just like the progression of an artist to to sort of like need to change it up over time uh and that's what i'm realizing about later king and i i do kind of wonder if that's some of the complaints people have sure um i i'll, I'll add a few more things i i don't think you're wrong um definitely pe- people sort of like pigeon want to pigeonhole him but part of that is also i think this idea that like Man, he's already created, you know, all these like iconic horror stories, and he did it when he was like in his thirties, right, forties, mm-hmm. quote unquote prime. Which I I, mm-hmm. I hate that concept. Um, and so I think there is a lot of people who kind of feel like there's no way he's going to be doing the he can't keep doing that. He can't keep putting out things that are going to be so iconic um, just because we don't want to believe that that's even possible for somebody. I think some people don't. And then there's also a little bit of like age bias, right? Like picturing a 70 year old man, you know, writing something that is going to appeal to you who maybe are much younger and who, or maybe not, but you know what I mean? Like there, there's this pernicious concept that writing is a young man's game or young person's game, I should say. Um, 
And I, I I think that that's wrong. I think that writers have proven time and again that they can come to writing very late in their careers or in their lives and be just as impactful, have long careers, um, or or sometimes start very young. But um, I don't know. That's just it's sort of a pernicious thing I see out there, and and it can often lead to people feeling discouraged because they'll feel like, well, you know, even me, like I'm in my 30s, or or someone who's in their 40s or 50s or later. Um, feeling like it's too late for me now. I can't do the thing that I want to do because I'm quote unquote too old, right? And right. I, I just think it's bullshit. And so there might be a little bit of that going on, knowing how old King is now. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, you, I, I was going to save this till the end, but we now we have to talk about it because it's so so in keeping with what we're talking about. Um, there is a character who's introduced that talks about Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, and yeah. and um, they're specifically saying they're watching the film Paths of Glory while while they're on the phone with somebody and they're like, let me let me turn this off. And they just happen to mention also that you know they find that it's much better than The Shining and Barry Lyndon, <laughs> and that uh, it's because younger artists are more likely to take risks. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really in key, like like that sort of commentary that King built into this story here. Um, you know, it's, he's aware of it, and also he wanted to, to uh, talk about Kubrick a little bit. So, well, it, it maybe he's having some fun with it because it's I, oh, I don't definitely. know. I feel like it's yeah. such a famous story that like maybe he's just playing with it a little bit there. Like I don't know. I it, he lives to do this at this point. I'm I'm yeah. fully convinced. I've talked about it on past episodes about like the sort of relationship between Kubrick and like the you know when they were when I think. I truly believe that King, after everything's been said and done now, after all the shit that he's talked, he really is willing to believe that, like, Kubrick made it a fantastic Shining film, and that, like, there's some there's some fun being played here because there's there's that narrative now. So he's like, you know, when he was younger, he was making his more vital stuff, and, you know, as it went on, it's, it wasn't quite as risky, and, yeah. you know, The Shining is just not quite as good as Path of Glory, and this sort of idea of even, of even of, like, he's acknowledging the greatness of Kubrick here, while also kind of, like, taking a little stab at their sort of you know whatever History. sort of relationship they have yeah and i and i can i contend that i still think it's possible he dislikes that movie um he, and and it, it, he's rooted in i think he is so rooted in his vision for that story and i think right. he was he was more hopeful that that he was going to get a more faithful adaptation um and uh kubrick put such a spin on it that um it just rubbed him the wrong way he has said later that he he recognizes it now more for its merits but um, I, I don't necessarily think that means he's come around to like the adaptation. He, I think he may still yeah. dislike it. But, you, you, I mean, it's kind of a conspiracy at this point. You know what I mean? Like, may, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. I don't know. Some of the time I think that it's like he's, I, I don't know. I think he's so biased towards his stuff that he's not willing to look at things critically because I have heard him come out and say, this is an incredible adaptation. This is such a good this is such a good story. You guys are going to fully enjoy it. And then saw the adaptation. It was like, that was pretty trash. Stephen yeah. King. Like, yep. sorry, you backed that, but you won't back Stanley Kubrick and the shining. And like I, that, I that. will agree that, uh, King has impeccable tastes. I, I think in, in his writing, I think he recognizes really good literature and I think he knows how to make good books. Um, his taste in film, um, may be more debatable, especially when it comes to his own adaptations. I think sometimes he looks at it through rose-colored glasses because he's seeing something he wrote come to life, and that's sort of like boxes A through C that he needs to have checked to like something. Is like, is this right. the thing I wrote? And then like other parts of it that might detract from its quality, 
um, aren't as important to him. So anyway, we're, we're getting in, we're getting into the weeds a little bit. <laughs> so do you, do we want to dig into a little bit of the idea that like when you're younger, you take more risks? Do you think that's something he's reflecting on? Do you think he feels in, in any way that way? Or do you think that he's kind of like making a joke about it and pushing back against it? I think more the latter. I, I, I think he, he is proposing that knowing full well that he is someone, he is an artist late in his career making things and he's probably had this criticism leveled against him and i do think it's fun that he's using it through the lens of a filmmaker who he has been critical about and has maybe even said such things himself right like it's just a nuanced sort of like complicated way like he's admitting that maybe he's even felt this way himself over time um and and yeah i can't imagine that he's not i mean he is definitely aware when he's writing that 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 is something people are saying about him oh yeah yeah, that's why I just thought it was fun to like kind of really dig into and part. think about like what what he's been saying, what he's said about Kubrick and where he's at now, and, yeah. and sort of like looking at an a, an older man later in his career. So I just thought that was a that was something really interesting that was right, really right at the end of our reading here, uh, at the end of the first half. Absolutely. All right, so let's move into spoilers. Uh, so full spoiler warning: anything's fair game. If you haven't seen or read or anything, go do that now. I I think it's clear to say that we we're enjoying this so far. We haven't finished it, but I would I would recommend. It, especially to Stephen King fans, uh, check this one out for sure. So I'm going to get into, I'm going to read a, I have a three paragraph uh, summary where we'll, I'll do a paragraph at a time and we can sort of react to it. So in Flint City, Oklahoma, police detective Ralph Anderson arrests popular teacher and little league coach named Terry Maitland in front of a crowd of baseball spectators, charging him with raping, mutilating, and killing an 11-year-old boy. Maitland hires his friend and lawyer, Howie Gold, to assist him, but Anderson has eyewitnesses and clear forensic evidence pointing to his guilt. In the meantime, eager reporters harass Maitland's wife, Marcy, and his two daughters, Sarah and Grace. Okay, so that's sort of a more detailed version of what I already discussed, but what, what, what are your thoughts on the sort of the opening to this novel and the setup? I, I really bought this idea that that because uh, it was set up that like they the police wanted to arrest him in front of everyone to yeah. show the town that it, the, that it was things were being handled it was a safe place to live still give people that peace of mind after this horrific thing happened um, and just like they talk about you know the, the the officers that were at the crime scene and the way that it affected them and just it's the worst thing they've ever seen um, it, it was really effective I think in setting up the town and like where everybody's at. Uh, with that and then how guilty this this Terry Maitland seems well and uh, what we learned that there's a personal connection with Ralph and that his son was previously coached by this guy by Terry yeah so there he's playing with the with a crime this heinous what it does to people right and how Mm -hmm. people lose their minds a little bit regarding these kind of things and and I think that's totally true right you look at how how true crime often plays out through that lens, um, one of the other major things that's being discussed here, and I think maybe even more forefront, is the idea of false accusations um, and false false convictions and false imprisonment, right? And right. sort of the court of public opinion. And um, I, I, I can't help but think of the very opening scene of this book is a scene where there are, quote, two black boys playing and they see police roll up to the baseball field and they get out of there and they're like, you know, 
we, we got to get out of here. The police don't don't care about us. That sort of thing. And that in to start the book with that scene, I think is a key indicator that he is talking about. There's there the possibility of injustice in our justice system, right? And the possibility of these false arrests and and presumptions of guilt. And um, I think it's fascinating to take that. And and while he's not directly talking about racial politics here, in some ways maybe he is right. It's a white man at the the center here, but he has been assumed guilty before even being interviewed, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and a lot of that feels like it could be touching on some racial politics, which might anger some people. I don't know. But I think that that is going on here. I think that I've I followed King enough on Twitter for a long enough time to know that this is stuff that he thinks about. And, he, and it seems to me like it is in this work. Yeah, I mean, just the idea that somebody who... It has the alibi has everything that they need and and like still just like and what's crazy is like this the sort of idea that you're talking about with somebody who's been imprisoned and then like shown to be innocent but still the the court of of the of the entire rest of the world of, of everybody in the town of the, the the sort of area that this person lives there's still like in the back whether it's in the back of their mind or whether they're like that's that person is guilty whether they got off or not um, you know, it changes people's lives and, and it could just like just the act of arresting someone, I think, charging them with someone like something like this is, is always going to change whether they're, you know, if they even if they are innocent, their their life will never be the same. And it's and Absolutely. maybe in, in due part to, you know, the investigation hadn't gone far enough, which in this case, it seems like it hadn't. They didn't do their due diligence all the way or, or just uh, snap decisions were made. And yeah, I could definitely see that being tied to like racial politics, definitely. Yeah, and and even just to move away from the racial part of it, you know, I think it's a fear that all of us share and the idea that we could be accused of something we did not do and have it be, have it ruin our lives. Like, everybody should be afraid of that. That's something that could happen to anybody. And um, speaking of true crime, I've listened to several cases recently and and and. and honestly just happened to touch on these things where it's like unsolved crimes and um, the effect it had on the people who are potential um, perpetrators of the crimes and often and sometimes that it still has yet to be proven or disproven in other times like uh, I, I think I just listened to I don't want to spoil it but I listened to a case where people were had come forward and said that the death of their child was like sort of an accident. And for the longest time, everybody in public, I, I'm trying to be very vague so I don't spoil anything from another podcast. <laughs> this is how much I hate spoilers, but it's difficult. But um, essentially they said that and everybody in the public said they're lying. They killed their child. And it took over 20 years, I think 30 years, before there was enough evidence um, with modern technology to prove that what they said happened is actually what happened. But they've lived for 30 years and even got convicted of the crime for a time um, before they were exonerated. Um, Crazy. With the accusations that they killed their own child who died accidentally. Mm-hmm. And the, the idea that your whole life could be ruined because of the assumption of guilt of the public is is terrifying and that's what we're dealing with here right like that is i think sort of the, the 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 terror that is at the heart of this and maybe that's one of the reasons why i find this to be one of the more frightening stephen king's uh, the most frightening stephen king novel i've read so far is that such a real fear that i think um a lot of people share and to see it play out here 
is terrifying. And um, the idea also of like the police assuming you're guilty, treating you as you're guilty and feeling vindicated in the way they treat you because of the nature of the crime that they assume you committed. Um, it's just all scary to me. And, and that's what we're seeing going on here at the start. Yeah. All right, let's move into the second second paragraph here. District Attorney Bill Samuels tells Anderson to break Maitland's alibi in order to make this an open and shut case. Anderson discovers, however, that multiple eyewitnesses confirm Maitland was out of town when the murder occurred at a writer's conference in a neighboring town. Conference site security footage also provides confirmation of Maitland's alibi. Anderson finds a book at the conference center gift shop that Maitland, parentheses, or his doppelganger, touched, and the fingerprints on the book are confirmed to be Maitland's. Samuels encourages Anderson to destroy this new evidence, but he does not. So this is sort of the, the, the investigation starts to unfold, Maitland's brought in, and we get proof that, that contradicts, right? Like we get strong evidence on both sides that contradicting each other. Yeah. And this is where, uh, you know, we're dealing with cops that don't necessarily even want to be corrupt, but are like at this point, like their, their jobs are on the line and and that sort of thing. So they're, they're like, our only option is destroying evidence and, and like starting to move things, which gets you thinking about all kinds of other stuff when, when, when this stuff happens in real life and, and people are, you know, I think, I think one of the major things to think about is just like what people are willing to do to, to like maintain their, their survival or their livelihood or their, you know, the status quo. They've already made up their minds that this is what happened. Their version of the story is what happened. So when they find evidence that contradicts it, the impulse to destroy that evidence because you feel like it can't be true. It's going to, it's going to contradict the thing I know to be true. Therefore, it's better for everyone if I make this go away. And that mm-hmm. kind of thinking is absolutely something that you could see happening and sort of sort of destroy uh, the, the validity of a case. And I love that we see Anderson say no to it, right? Ralph Anderson, um, I think, shows through this act that even though maybe he was a little bit over the top in the way that he went with the initial arrest, like he's a good man and he... Uh, does believe in justice and he does believe in getting to the truth. And this is sort of the, the when it really comes down to it, this is him showing that. And I mean, you can you can understand why he was so passionate about it because as I talked about before, it was like, well, you said that, uh, you know, the guy coached his son and was, you yep. know, very close to him and, and everything, they have like everything that they need and they're waiting on DNA evidence to come back. It's going to prove it. And they, they, you know, they have eyewitnesses, they have everything they could possibly need. And then little over time, little things start to pop up and then they, they snowball and become bigger and bigger. And, and we're realizing like, OK, well, he had he has a perfect alibi and yeah. there was also a crime that has, as we find out, his DNA evidence on it. So how is that even possible? And that's kind of, you know, the, the ongoing yeah. mystery here. Well, and I, I want to stop and take a moment to appreciate again how good King is at. Uh, really just writing. <laughs> He's such an excellent <laughs> writer and, 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 and he always has these details that just floor me and he knows how to use them. He knows how to craft scenes and stories in a way that only works in literature. And he, he is fully aware of that. So we know that in an adaptation, you're not going to get the same perspective on things. And that's one of the reasons why there's always a disconnect between the things he writes and his adaptations. He does such a good job at like people's internal thoughts 
and motivations. And that's just stuff you can't really put on screen. I was thinking about a particular scene where um, I think it's Marcy. The the police come to her house for the first time to um, to search it for proof. And I also love that Marcy is like 100% behind her husband, does not believe it's possible, and is like doesn't even entertain it as a possibility, really. Like just for the most part is, is 100% like this can't be true. Um, right. And um, anyway, when she's at the house and they're coming to search uh, to search it, she has to pee. And the whole time she's just talking with them, she's like, I got to go. And then like she finally does go. And like I was just thinking about how that's such a like personal private thing that like you wouldn't talk about. Yet if you're in a book where you're in someone's head, you could totally see that being a real thing. Like this thing's happening and this is such an inconvenient biological reality right now is that i have to pee yet i'm in the situation where it's very difficult to do and just how like that would affect the way you're behaving and i love that it was it's like such an internal moment and it creates this weird tension throughout the entire scene that is already tense i just thought it was brilliant well not to mention you you know you brought up the idea of the doppelganger and in, inside of all of us the the, yeah. pe- the person who is like willing to do whatever like just like lash out and what what we're capable of and throughout this entire scene we see marcy in that light in the internal monologue we're getting her saying like as she pulled up they were like sorry you're gonna have to park on the side of the street and she's like she's like she wanted to like reach out like reach out and grab somebody and like scream yeah. out of the window and say like you're in my driveway and and then like later she's she has all these thoughts about the things she wants to say to this pregnant cop who's like going through her stuff and how she's like yeah, like I hope you. I hope you die. I hope you lose. Your I hope baby your baby dies. Like, like she's yeah. she's thinking all these things that she could say, and you can't get that in adaptation. You, you yeah. unless you have a like narration over top no, of it, but I, it wouldn't be the same. And I love connecting that to the idea of the doppelganger, man. That's that's. I think that's perfect, right? Because that's exactly what we're talking about, like the darker aspects of ourselves. And you can even take it uh, a step further into sort of abnormal psych and talk about um, the phenomenon of like dissociative ident- identity disorder. Um, and how literally people dissociate from a, from a version of themselves that that version is the one committing crimes and they maybe don't even have any knowledge of it. And how our legal system is not really equipped to deal with that, whether or not it's even true is up to our debate. But that is an, that is like an example of an in, like a real-life situation where you could almost argue that it is a doppelganger version of yourself going around and doing shit and how terrifying that would be if you had no control over that and you had no memory mm-hmm. of it yet there's that there is a version of you doing horrific things that you d- would not, you know, co-sign on. Um, and, and, and all the spectrum, right? Like, like even just down to like the average day to day moments, like you said, where like you think about something. Yeah. Th- I think all of us have this moment, right? Where we think about some sort of like crazy thing we could say that would really hurt somebody and go like, that's totally not warranted or that's not me to say that sort of thing. And then say like, I'm not going to say that. And like, you get rid of it. But that sometimes in a moment that might pop into your head and I, and it's a very human thing. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It almost seems like it comes from somewhere else, right? It almost seems like it comes from this like evil version of yourself that, that exists in all of us. So I love that playing with that. And, and to me, once again, that's a frightening thing. And, and that's, that's when King is at his best. I think he's, he's confronting us with our own psychology. And he also talks about this, um, with I think it's Ralph's wife brings up Edgar Allan Poe and how he's got this hit, he's got this reputation it seems kind of like he's talking about himself here but he's Poe's got this reputation of writing these supernatural stories yet he's like the thesis is that he is actually writing about our own psychology 
And right. and uh, I, I can't help but think that King is maybe talking a little bit about his own writing here um, because so many people have, have compared him to Poe as far as like a modern Edgar Allan Poe, that kind of thing. Yeah, I totally see that. So all that to be said, um, I, I do think there's a lot of psychology being discussed here. And I think that's a great example of it, like you said. Let's move into the final bit of final bit of plot I have here. Then we can sort of talk about everything we've we've gotten so far. So, despite evidence that Maitland was in two places at once, Anderson still believes that Maitland killed the boy. Maitland is shot to death outside the courthouse by the older brother of the victim, who is subsequently shot and killed by Anderson. Anderson is placed on administrative leave, and the district attorney decides not to seek re-election. Um, that's basically where we end. Um, there's one more moment where he goes and he calls this Holly character to sort of enlist her help in in, in the case. But yeah, that's everything we've read so far. Um, I saved it for last because that is, I think, the most shocking moment um, yeah. so far. I did not yeah. expect Maitland to die, um, but he dies. Pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean, you know, the story clicks over into a different sort of sort of story at this point. Like we click over to, okay, so now he's dead. The evidence clearly shows that he was, we also get this video of him in in like this seminar that he was at or this conference that he was at where he asks the question. It's so clearly him. They have the DNA evidence on the book that shows that he was there. So how is it possible that he was in two places at once? And and that's like, that, that really breaks open the story. And, uh, but, but to jump back to his, um, this being the most shocking moment, uh, this family that has like it. And I think it's kind of hinted at, but this family like seemingly has like a this shadow over it. You know, the, You're about the, the Peterson uh, family, the Petersons. Yeah. So yeah. their, their son is murdered in a completely gruesome way. The mother yep. drops dead of a heart attack. Heart attack. Yep. The brother then goes and tries to kill, uh, uh, Terry Maitland yep. mm-hmm. and, uh, fails or it actually no himself. succeeds. No, su- succeeds, succeeds and then dies. Yeah. Gets shot by Ralph. That shooting was also really crazy. It was the description yeah. of the kid dying was super brutal as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that was that was crazy. So and then and then on top of that, at the end of the here, the, the the last remaining member of the family tries to hang and kill himself and and kind of fails, but he's in a coma and probably will never be the same. Yeah, they said maybe brain brain dead or or having like significant brain damage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and this is the kind of stuff that's like you you hear about right with these with these true crime events is like. Somebody, if somebody dies in the family, but then like the repercussions ruin the lives of everyone they know and everyone involved in that family. And, you know, whether it's marriages breaking up, suicides, health problems related to it, it's just, he really is showing the way that that sort of thing can ripple out. Um, And, and again, just something that I, that is very true to life and, and definitely affecting here. Um, and I think he's deliberately doing to sort of evoke that. Um, oh. but yeah, that, you know, that moment where, where the shooting happens, um, there's a lot that goes down. Um, there's also this man with burned hands and a yellow something around his head. And they, they cup uh, the, the main detective, um, Ralph and, uh, others remember this happening, but they, when they watch the footage later, they can't find the man. And there starts to be this implication of the supernatural, right? We also get, the youngest uh, um, girl, uh, uh, Terry's daughter, um, she sees a man out her window, outside of her window, who has uh, "quote unquote" straw eyes. 
Yeah. Straw eyes is a weird, uh, weird I couldn't, I can't even imagine what that is. What does straw eyes look like? like I don't know, like, but it's creepy, man. Wait, like straw, like, like, as in like hay straw? No, or straw, I think like, 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 like a couple of straws poking out. That's like, what I thought too. That's yeah. what I was thinking. And I'm like, I don't even know what that looks like. Yeah, I know. Right. And then like lumpy, they're like lumpy and they have straw Play-Doh, eyes. Play-Doh yeah, head. Play-Doh head. Um, pretty creepy so seemingly both the one daughter is in denial about seeing it but the 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 youngest sees it and then tells the other the old eldest and they both see it kind of and but the older one's in denial about it um a couple crazy things here the as he's trying to hang himself the peterson father like sees the same kind of thing straw eyes plato plato so face, we know like, that two unconnected characters have both seen it now so it's not a right, figment of one of their imaginations yeah things are going on there uh and then we get nearing the very very end we get the the he actually sh- call does he call her or just show up no he just shows up and tells he tells the youngest daughter yeah to tell ralph to stop investigating or else bad things are going to start this, this mystery man yeah um, he, he shows up in, in like a moment that she thinks is a dream. He's got like a sh- changing shirt and, um, does not look burned, but does have tattoos. Then we also have a moment of, um, the one more big supernatural thing is there's one of the, um, I think it's one of the police officers goes to investigate this report of finding the jeans and shoes yeah. and belt buckle and uh of uh what terry was wearing i think is what Mm -hmm. it is and um goes out to investigate it and has this moment where like he feels someone come up behind him in the barn or wherever he's at Mm -hmm. like looking and like touch the back of his neck and then he's frozen he can't he's like frozen with fear very scary moment like just like he knows he should move but he can't he's just so terrified and then Mm -hmm. when he does finally turn around there's nobody there but like another moment where it feels like there was some sort of um, manifestation and there is a sexual element to all of this that adds just a layer of gross creepiness to it right it's like caressing yeah. and sort of like uh yeah so, yeah there's something there for sure well but. and the crime was sexual and we've seen like there's like this weird semen stuff everywhere that has turned yeah, things turns black. black yeah yeah it's so i think that adds a seediness to it that that isn't always there and man it's just it is creepy stuff we got to mention the the sort of main power that we're starting to see is scratches so yeah. like uh, it seems like the scratches are important. Uh, seems probably like some, the way that somehow important. The, but like it's it, so it scratched Terry, but then also the other person who got scratched was like that Willow woman, right? Was I think the other person who got scratched or who reported being scratched by the by the like coke nail, quote unquote. Um, right. Yeah. And then now this guy, this guy is investigating. So I, I'll be curious to see because like so far of the three, only Terry has had a doppelganger. We've only seen one doppelganger that we know of. Maybe the person who was doing the interview was actually a doppelganger giving you false information or something. Like who knows? Which interview? Uh, there was the interview that you're talking about where they say that they said they were cut by the coke nail. Maybe that was the doppelganger. Yeah, I don't think they'd want to give away that information though. If so, but but you're right. Like who could you know who knows who could be a doppelganger? I definitely predict we're going to get another doppelganger. um, Oh yeah. As we as we go on, who it's going to be? Anderson would be interesting, but it makes more sense for it to be this guy who got scratched. Yeah. Um. But man, to to turn it on Anderson himself, if he had a doppelganger show up, would be would be a pretty crazy thing after he's ruined all these lives chasing down this crime yeah i could totally um, see that happening uh, yeah so reference. but that's just pure speculation we haven't read or seen so yeah. you know that's not a spoiler it's just our speculating so there's a reference here that we got to talk about the okay. somebody's holding up a sign that says take your medicine to, yes about terry so, take your medicine terry yeah 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 definitely i i caught that too and i wrote it down i was like oh this has got to be a shining reference yeah, um, it totally is so cool um 
And, uh, oh, there was another moment where they are investigating Terry's home computer and they're talking about like what he doesn't have any porn and like what does he watch and like they talk about what he watches on Netflix and they say Ozarks as one of yeah. them. Do you realize that uh, the the case, I think it's Jason Bateman's his name, right? Jason Bateman, yeah. He plays Terry in mm-hmm. the adaptation and yeah, he is the that. main yeah. character in Ozarks and I wondered if I'm like, did they know he was going to be this character? Because specifically Maybe. this character is said to watch Ozarks. There was a lot of, uh, like, he loves to drop in. Like, Game of Thrones, you know, we talked about how Game of Thrones was referenced in, in Doctor Sleep. It was referenced here, yep, too. Referenced somebody was, here, like, yeah. talking about trying to get home to see to see Game of Thrones, um, which, when I heard that, there was that reference, and then there was a Trump, like, like MAGA reference, yep. and I was like, holy shit. That's when I looked up how recent the book came out, and I was like, oh, my God, it's like, it just came out. <laughs> it just came out. Yeah, I think this is the most recent book we've covered, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, like if it, it came out, think about this. We started the podcast before this book was. Published. I was going to say that. Yeah, I was thinking about that. <laughs> it's our. I mean, like we've had that with movies all the time, but like for a yeah. book that has not happened yet. We were way, way, way into the into the podcast when this book came out, and then yeah. not to mention we're now covering the adaptation of it. Is like Jesus, pretty well quick, and and that's why I wonder how much of this might have been in the works before the book was ever out, because it seems like it's almost too fast for it not to have been. Which makes me think this reference could have been added at some point as a particular yeah. call out which would be cool Maybe. if so i don't know i i don't know that but it would be interesting so i think where we stopped we always end up stopping in interesting spots when we when we read you know because we, we don't know where where the best stopping point is we're just like all right let's find halfway and stop our stop our first half of the book coverage there we stopped yep. with the introduction of this character holly who i'm fascinated mm-hmm. by and I, i'm so excited to see how she shakes up the story how because uh, it's she's she's a pi i believe like a, mm-hmm. a new investigator a detective of some kind yeah i agree that and and i w- one thing i saw and i don't think this is a spoiler but maybe kind of is um apparently this holly character is a recurring king character who's been in several other really? more recent novels yeah so uh, yeah i'll be curious to see how she operates here um yeah it, i just saw that happen to see that somewhere um, have we seen that like f- like a character that's going to be this important to the story be like from another story of king like i feel like this is well dick halloran characters um dick halloran uh although he was a minor character mentioned in it um he then becomes a major character in the, in the, in the yeah Shining. he was like not but she's gonna affect i think she's gonna affect the plot in this one you yeah know? like she's actively gonna have a huge role in this I, I assume yeah i don't know probably not but i mean also we haven't read that much king so maybe right. this does happen sometimes um so I want to talk about the one thing that I kind of wish King hadn't done. Okay. And, you know, I, I have been pretty superlative in my praise for him, and, and I, I, he is a writer that I admire. Um, and I don't pretend to know anything about horror even close to what he knows. Um, just personally, my experience reading it, I found the, the idea of presenting options for what this could be including the idea of this boogeyman who is described to like eat children and use the fat to like keep them younger and like all this stuff that we get at one point. Mm -hmm. Um, These moments where they're trying to explain phenomenon that are occurring to me always, it is a, it relieves the pressure of the, Mm. of the story and it gives me somewhat of an answer Right. And then the idea of it, there's also even discuss, discussion about it being sort of a vampire, right, yep. in the way it's been biting. And, and the idea that this could be a vampire, again, makes it slightly less frightening to me because I, I know right. what a vampire is, even mm-hmm. if it is an unusual vampire. Um, and, and to me, 
there's a fine line and, and it's very like it's very stylistic and it's going to be come down to what you choose to do but i didn't want to have any idea connection what this was yeah i wanted so, to be completely in the dark and because the unknown the idea that it could be anything and, and it still could be right granted but i'm sure it's not i'm sure it's not going to be a vampire i think it's just going to be like what a layman would would kind of can like like compare to a vampire which maybe. is something he's done before yeah and that's the thing like he's written salem's lot like he's has other books with vampires he 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 and, and we talked about dr sleep the the there are characters that are kind of vampiric in there it just the idea that the, the way that it might fit into his overall mythos as far as like a creature that fits into there it in some ways it makes it less frightening to me like i wanted it to be unknowable and i wanted it to be it like is it an alien is it a demon is it a other dimensional creature is it just an unknown supernatural thing like what is it, let it be anything and then maybe at the end you do give an answer but i wanted to hold on to that mystery for as long as possible and giving me these possible explanations early on in the book in the first half took just a little bit of that f- scariness away from me um and, and and like i said everybody's gonna be different but just for me personally as soon as i started attributing certain things and going oh that's probably what this is or it's something like that it made it slightly less frightening yeah it makes me think of with like the wendigo uh you know we, we it's it's we there's nothing to really compare it to other than the wendigo of myth um right. which i kind of get and the same thing we're talking like about the, pet cemetery in, in pet cemetery yeah and, or like with with it and we start to kind of like break down and understand what it is nearing the end um but yeah this idea if you if you just leaves it even more mysterious i think that it does it does make it more scary because it is that unknowable like what is it capable of where is it coming from what are its motives whereas like if you say like vampire like the motives of a vampire blood you know what I mean? Motives right. of to turn, you know, wanting to be eternally young. It just right. seems like a very like, yeah, like I don't know. There's just something sort of, not, I don't know. It's if you can understand the motives of a creature, it's less frightening. I as agree, soon yeah. as you can understand the motives, it is inherently less frightening. And yeah, if it, if it was, I don't know. I I didn't want to have any guesses about about this thing. I wanted it to be a completely unknown quantity for as long as possible. But anyway, that's just my own thing. I don't know. All right, man. So I think we've we've talked about most of the things we want to talk about, but now I want to look forward a little bit and and ask you. We're about to not, and I'm not even going to ask you about where we're going in this novel. I want to mm-hmm. ask you about this adaptation because you don't know nothing about it. Yeah. Um apparently you knew that Jason Bateman is 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 Terry. Yeah, I know that. Jason Bateman and I know um uh what's his name? The Australian Ben Mendelson. Ben Mendelsohn, yes, thank you. Is, is, he's playing Ralph Anderson, the, the yep. primary detective. Yeah, so you know some of the cast. I didn't know that. I just knew that he was in it. Oh, you didn't know that? Yeah, he plays he plays the main detective. So, and that's the only that's the only two things I know, and I've seen some of the trailers. But I, what what do you want out of a adaptation of this? Like, what what do you think? What do you want to see? I want to. So, I think it's promising because it's an HBO adaptation, and and I yeah. think HBO has a like a fantastic track record just across the board. So going into this, I really want them to lean into, like I said, I think I think there are comparisons. You know, I don't think it goes quite as um, heady or quite as, I don't think it's really built to be as like Lovecraftian as something like like uh, True Detective. But I'd like to see that sort of tone, like very very somber, very dark. Um, you know, I think lean into the true crime stuff, have it be very much an investigation, and just have that supernatural stuff on the outskirts. 
And as we as we come to the conclusion, maybe maybe lean into a lot more of that. Um, I'm I think it's promising. Like I, I just reading the story, I could see how they could how they could go really dark and ominous with it, and and have it be like a slow burn miniseries here that we I think um, I think it's going to be ten episodes. So. Yeah. You know, I think that's plenty of material to to kind of take your time and show show the town. You know, don't don't go flying through the material. Really build it, and or maybe in a way like like sharp objects. The way that in yeah. sharp objects, kind of we got to understand the town, understand the characters. I think I think that that's mostly what I'd be looking for is sort of really really um, capturing what Stephen King has built with the the sort of the setting and and the tone. Yeah. I agree. And um, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of stuff here that appears to be accurate from what I've seen in the trailers. It seems like if you're looking for an accurate adaptation or a faithful adaptation, it does seem to be fairly that. Um, but for me, and, and from doing this podcast for a long time, um, I I have started to feel like I'm less interested in a quote unquote faithful adaptation as right. I am a good adaptation <laughs> and uh, one that recognizes the strengths of different mediums. And um, I think there are ways to be faithful and there are ways to 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 completely change and, um, the you know, your adaptation from the source. And that can succeed or fail depending on um, the viewer and, and um, what what their connection is to it. But here, I think you're right. I think I want to see the uh, I want to see the true crime played up and I want to see a slow reveal of supernatural things happening. I want it to build. I want less answers i don't want any indication like i said that's my one my one quibble i have is i don't want any indication of what this thing is i want it to be an unknown quantity that is just this double um i don't want any i don't want the word vampire to appear i want it to be just this mysterious double and as soon as you say the word vampire i think it i think it gives an explanation for something that doesn't need one and is scarier to not have one so personally, yeah, I'm hoping they do that. And I'm hoping they maintain that mystery. And then we'll see where the book goes. Um, famously, King gets labeled someone who does not do his endings very well. Um, I don't know if that'll be the case here. We'll see. I also don't know that I agree with that. But um, I'll be curious to see. And it wouldn't surprise me if the book ends in a different way than the show ends. Um, just from the track record of how King adaptations have gone. So that's something I'll be on the lookout for, and that's something we can try and choose. At the end of this, we are going to take a vote in which we will each vote on whether or not we thought the book or the show was better. Um, that's something we're doing this season, so look forward to that. That'll be in our third episode. You mentioned really quick, uh, the podcast has made you think of, you know, like a true adaptation. I, what was the specific wording you used a second ago? Like faithful. A, good ab- a faithful adaptation. So, so I wanted to just quickly jump in and say... Uh, the idea behind a faithful adaptation, I think it's also a little subjective. Like, does faithful mean every single event plays out as it does in the book? Or does it mean, like, capturing the sort of essence of what the story is about? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm less, like like you said, I think the podcast over time has definitely shown me that, like, a pure adaptation isn't necessarily the perfect thing to do. I think that you'll please the audience uh, for the most part, usually of the book, but you're never, but of, of the fans of the book in the, right. in the movie or the show, you might please that audience a lot, but to have something really stand on its own, um, there are definitely times that changes need to be there. And sometimes there aren't, but I think like capturing the essence and really saying like that really captured, you know, what King was trying to capture. I think that'll be the test to see like if they capture that and then whether they change things or not, as long as it kind of still has that same that same center, like this, the sort of reason for the story existing, 
Mm-hmm. I think I think uh, as long as that still comes through, it, it'll be really cool. So we're going to have our bonus episode for this month coming out soon in which we're going to sort of reflect on sort of um, how this podcast has affected us over time as readers and uh, moviegoers and so forth. And, and this is something I'm going to touch on a little bit in that, but I, I do want to put it here because we're already sort of in it. The idea that the filmmakers who come into these projects are artists themselves. They are not vehicles for medium changes. They are not in here to take a story and just shift medium and give it to you. That is a very mechanical way to view the process. And there, what, what is actually happening is another artist is coming in. And if you think about like how fan art is online, right? People take their own their own interpretations of what a character looks like, and they do it in different styles. And like maybe someone does it in watercolors, maybe someone does it in anime style, maybe someone, and they they come up with these like depictions of characters. And it's clearly through the artist's lens of the original material. And I think that's something we always have to keep in mind: is that like when a, when a filmmaker comes in, they are going to interpret it, and they're going to stay, tr- and they're going to look at it through a lens of their own experience and their own artistic vision, which might be very different from what the authors is. And so because of that, um, it is always going to be different. And the quality of the art, of the art being produced by the filmmaker will affect the quality of the adaptation. Um, and I think to me, that is way more important than being quote unquote faithful. It is more about the quality of the art being produced by the filmmaker (laughs) does that make sense it's like a small distinction but yeah i like that in in saying that you know it's it's not pitting the two against each other either you know what i mean it's only to enhance the interpret it's only to enhance your experience of one or the other and i think that's what's so cool about this podcast too is like you know and i hate the idea that like oh this completely i can't i can't even you know i i can't stand when i hear somebody say like oh i can't even read the hobbit without thinking about the 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 prequel hobbits that that uh peter jackson created and i'm just like right. I, I, it should never affect you in that way it should just be another exper- way to experience it and and yeah. even if you don't like it like there are things in those movies that i think you can be like oh my like that exists as a f- in 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 film now and so yeah, yeah i just I, I don't know i think it's i about- mean you touched on a very bad adaptation <laughs> right right <laughs> our, on purpose. both of our opinion yeah yeah but i mean i mean you can look, there are there are many great examples of this because too, there are where- things to celebrate in both is what yeah. i would say and it's like the celebration yeah. of the story absolutely anyway and that's something i want to touch on more in our bonus episode which is going to be our patreon patreon exclusive release this month so uh if you want to hear more of our discussions of that and and more definitely check that out speaking of patreon episodes we just released in our previous episode episode in the feed um a previously one of those patron exclusive episodes and that was on the thing prequel movie um so we put that out there in hopes that people would check it out and and if you're interested in that coverage you might think about joining our patreon um and if so you'll get access to a bunch of other bonus episodes like the one we just discussed we've also covered uh other adaptations for like fahrenheit 451 um jaws 2 so we've done some sequels um we did a different version of lord of the rings which is like this original animated version um yeah. the list goes on I mean, you read you read your your short story on there so if you were interested oh, that's in true. Luke's short yep. story little original fiction from me uh that was originally published in a magazine and then i did an audio recording of me reading it um and then we have a little q a afterwards actually on there too so if you want access to any of that uh, it's just two dollars just two dollars and you get access to all of our bonus content and um and you also get the satisfaction of helping this podcast continue um we are almost exclusively funded by our i guess exclusively funded by our patrons we don't have any advertising we're doing right now so that's the way that we fund this thing and keep it going so if you enjoy what we do 
uh, consider that. Um, and if you don't have any money at all, don't worry about it. We still appreciate your support. Uh, a great way to support us outside of that is to leave us a rating and review on whatever podcast app you chose. And um, also, if you like this episode, share, the, spread the word, share it with somebody who you think would also enjoy it. Other Stephen King fans, fans of the series on HBO, let them know about us because we uh, that is our number one uh, thing we we struggle with is getting the word out, getting uh, getting people to know we exist because we don't have major. Uh, uh, advertisements that we run so yeah thank you again to our patrons and if you'd like to become a patron head over to patreon.com forward slash ink to film yeah and follow us on social media we're at ink to film on facebook twitter and instagram and join our council of inklings where we have polls and we have that's where we publish all of our adaptation news that we find um, so it's a good way to stay informed about what's going on with the podcast have discussions um, I also wanted to shout out our Goodreads. Um, we have a book club on there that if you search for Ink to Film Podcasts, or just, no, sorry, I think it's Ink to Film Book Club on Goodreads. You'll find it and you can join it. And there's there's a I always create a thread for every project we do. And we've got some discussion going on there. And I, I want more people to get on there and talk with each other about these adaptations and these books. Um, so if you're on Goodreads already, go ahead and join that. Um, and we'd love to have you. And thank you to Ross Bugden for the use of our intro and outro music. All right, man, that's going to be it for this week. Uh, next week, our doppelgangers will be back to discuss the film. Hopefully they yeah. do a good job. We'll have to listen in and see how they do. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure they're not going to do anything horrible and horrific and show the dark side of us, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure not. Uh, but I'll definitely be listening in. I don't know about you. Um, and then uh, and then maybe we'll, we'll, we'll battle them and whoever comes out alive will be the ones to come in for the third episode. Sounds good. <laughs> All right, uh, until next time. Thanks for listening. Oh,